City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. You are listening to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network. But today, maybe we call ourselves Hornets Therapy. This is one podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every single very sad angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. The All Hornets Podcast Network is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. Uh, today's show, we're largely going to split in two. Uh, first, we're going to talk about the latest on the Mellow Balls injury. Um, and then in part two, we're going to be looking at how Miles Bridges since you returned to the court and what we've made of his play so far. So, Chase, I feel like this is our third time around now doing like a potential Lamelo Ball serious injury podcast. If, if practice makes perfect, this is going to be a damn good podcast because it feels like we've been here before. I know. I mean, the first time we did this a couple of years ago when he broke his wrist was like probably the most dejected that I've ever been in recorded media over the many years that I've been recovering the Hornets. And the, the next couple of times, it hasn't been quite as bad. So, I mean, now that we're here for the third time in four years, which is just such a horrible experience to have to go through yet again. And here we are. But but you're right. I think this, this should be a pretty good podcast by now because we know how to talk ourselves through an experience like this at this point. Absolutely. And if, if you're hurting like we are, you know, I know we are. We we view this with a little bit through a journalism lens, probably more so than a lot of listeners. But you know, we, we still understand we are watching and following this team day to day. You know, we want this team to be relevant. We want it to be enjoyable. We want to see good basketball. We want fans to enjoy it. And to not have that is painful to see. But look, when, when it all first happened uh, in the second quarter of the Lando Magic game, Lamelo Ball went down with a right ankle, a, a, a spray, a strain, right? What did the Hornets strain, PR? Strain, I think. Yes, I think a strain. it was right ankle strain. Right ankle, was that's what Hornets PR listed it during diagnosis. the game. As we start recording, we've got a update of sorts from Hornets PR. Um, Lamella Ball for the Knicks game on the 28th is listed as doubtful with a right ankle. Um, now, if you're listening to this, this is arguably good news, right? Because he's not out, which means, oh, that, that means there's like a, if it was the NBA Finals game seven tomorrow, could he technically play? That's kind of what I always view doubtful as. It's like, he's probably not going to, but if he needs to, he, he could. Um, look, I'm going to be like Terry's ear was either listed as doubtful or questionable right after he did his groin. It seemed bizarre at the time, and then he missed three weeks. Um, now saying that, if you offered me three weeks without the Miller ball right now, I would bite your hand off because when I saw the injury, and we're going to get into the detail, I was thinking anything less than two months, I would take right now, this instant. Um, what was your gut reaction seeing? Lamelo go down. Um, the amount of pain he was in. Uh, what, what did you think when you saw that? Did you think this is season over? Did you not know what to think? Yeah. So I think my natural reaction when confronted with uh, traumatic, unfortunate situations such as this one is to like run through every horrible possibility and just kind of check them off. And as we go along and cancel off them these possibilities, my immediate reaction, like when they replayed it. And they showed the angle of him like grimacing while he was like still in midair, basically before Paulo Boncaro had like fallen on him or rolled on his leg or whatever it was when they had actually come down. 
I thought he had like torn something or and was going to be out for the rest of the year or at least like a very long time and have to have some sort of like surgery because like it wasn't like when he rolled his ankle over last season and ended up like breaking it like and he was just kind of grabbing at it when he was sitting there before he even hit the ground you could see that he was like having a painful reaction to it he laid like flat on his back for one like a trip up and down the court before the hornets could call a timeout and he had to be carried to the locker room like that is not a doubtful for the next game type of injury reaction no. but like you said that was basically the same thing that happened to Terry Rozier. Like when he hurt his groin, he also like had to be like, maybe not like carried to the locker room, but they had to help him up. Like he was sitting there for a while. He was clearly in a lot of pain when that happened as well. And he was also listed as doubtful for the next game, but ended up missing from November 4th to the 26th. So obviously was doubtful for quite some time, which I mean, hopefully if, if, if like if LaMelo ends up being doubtful for, 22 days and then comes back that is a huge win for what that looked like in the moment but I mean obviously it's not a win at all to have to miss him for any sort of time especially with the start to the season that the Hornets have had here no I I think it was uh around 14 and a half minutes that is how long the Charlotte Hornets had their first choice starting lineup this season uh and right it now it was a great can... 14 and a half minutes wasn't it james <laughs> you know I, I i feel like i kind of. i put the hoax on all this when i said for the first quarter this is the most organized they've looked on either side of the ball like the orlando magic are good this year don't get me wrong this is not last year's orlando magic they were leading after the first quarter they were right in the game in the second quarter um, and obviously just lost their way once Lamella went down. But it, it was a good 14 minutes, but it's just so depressing that the, the, the day you get Terry, you couldn't you couldn't make it up. It's like there is NBA God, you know, is up there just playing with the lives of the Charlotte Hornets, being like, well, hey, wouldn't it be cruel if we like gave them their two starters back and then we took away the star player again for the what it feels like, you know, the, the third season in a row? It's just really, really painful to see. It, if we touch on the injury itself, there wasn't like a great slowdown, high-res camera angle of exactly what happened to his right foot. But I have to say, like, watching it back, and this is a little, this is what makes it even more worrying, he just kind of looks to land on it okay. Like, if you'd have, if you'd have not told me it was an ankle injury, I would have watched it and said, well, maybe he's twisted a knee because his angle, ankle doesn't come down like, it doesn't roll. It doesn't come down and get, kind of get crushed on or anything like that. It just looks like he plants his foot. But like you say, as soon as he does, he lets out that sh- you know that scream in midair and then just stay down and motionless. And when you say carried off by teammates, this isn't like, oh, yeah, he was limping off. He put not one ounce of weight on that ankle while being carried off. You know, he couldn't even put anything on it. Um, it's just so strange to see such a painful looking reaction to what looks like pretty you know a a play that didn't really have much to it yeah and the unfortunate thing too is it's like it happened doing the exact thing that both he and the coaching staff and like Hornets fans and media alike were have been asking him to do like a hard aggressive drive to the rim he like jumped up and I think he was making like a like some sort of drop-off pass back to JT Thor for a layup. I it was a le- it was a left-hand layup uh, over Paolo. Oh, right, right. Around okay, yeah. yeah, right, yeah. And right. people yeah, so say that like... Paolo, people say Paolo fouled him. I'll be honest. I watched it a couple of times. I don't times. think so. 
I, if there was any foul, there was like a tiny little push, like before ball even starts the shot attempt. There was a tiny, but like we're talking marginal contact. And if you're calling that, you're calling everything. I, I don't think this is Paolo Bancari's fault um, for people who want to blame that. I don't really think it was a foul. It was just he kind of, to contort his body to get like the soft touch he needed to get it off the glass. Yeah. He kind of had to like turn his body round and then he had to put all of his like power and momentum back through the right foot as he planted it from, from the move. Um, but yeah. And it just sucks seeing him, seeing it happen, doing the one thing that people have been asking for him or from him. This is yeah. like these hard physical drives to the rim with, you know, a physical rim protector is right ahead of him, going through the contact, not shying away from it, trying to at least get to the line. That was exactly what he was doing, and he just took, like, a hard, you know, whatever awkward angle spill, and then, of course, now it's only listed as doubtful for this next game against the Knicks on Tuesday, but obviously it does not seem like this is going to be, like, a day-to-day type of injury. At least will be week-to-week going forward. Yeah. And uh, Spencer Percy of BuzzBeat Podcast shared earlier today. And Spencer's had a pretty good track record going back, you know, for the last five to eight years now uh, around Hornets injury intel that that Lamella Ball has avoided a second fracture in his right ankle, um, which I think a lot of people view as good news. And and I don't even know if that's good news. Like fractures, when you speak to doctors, fractures are like simple to fix, right? You you hold it in place, the bone reheals of someone his age and everything like that, and a lot of the time it grows back to be just as just as strong, unless it's in like a weird place like a navicular fracture where there's limited blood flow. That probably means the injury is going to be ligament related. So you're talking maybe high ankle sprain. Uh, you've got grade one, two, three strains. You know you've got ligaments could have been torn, could have been stretched. I believe Achilles could still be in the in the like in the possibility right here uh, because that when people when, when players are diagnosed with Achilles injuries, unless it happens like right away and it's obvious you're pretty much always given either ankle or calf strain as your like pre-injury diagnosis. Like I, I, I wouldn't rule that out necessarily. Like that was obviously like the worst case scenario probably would be any sort of Achilles injury. But I mean, just because it says ankle, like, I, I wouldn't necessarily rule that out because a, a strain is, like, uh, what that implies, like, some sort of, like, stretched ligament that is no longer fully intact in the way that it was before. Yeah. So, I, I don't even know if that's good news, but it's some news. Yeah, right. I guess it really might such... not be. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> there's some, there's, people can take, like, solace in the fact that it's not like he is a bone weakness and he's broken it once, he's broken it again, and there's concern he might just keep breaking it. Um, we'll have to find out more. Look, by, by the time you hear this podcast, we're recording Monday evening. Uh, we might have an update, although I, I, though I doubt it. I think we're probably more likely to get an update on Tuesday, the day this podcast is released. Um, let's 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 move to try and look a little bit like bigger picture for what this means for this team and and for Lamelo Ball. Um, Lamelo was in the the middle of his best run as a pro. I mean, if he'd have kept that level of play up all year, which is probably like unsustainable let's just be honest i don't want to say it definitely is because every breakout player you probably think it's unsustainable and then it's not it's just who he is but i think with other people coming back his usage would have gone down and probably his assists would have gone up and his scoring might have been less aggressive but he had to be that aggressive in that stretch for them to try and to try and get some wins um 
it's just a, a real shame that every time this team, you, you start to try and think, okay, we can get some answers now, all right? We have these players on the court. We talked in the last podcast, what does that, you know, point differential with Miles Bridge, uh, sorry, with, with Mark Williams, the mellow ball, Brandon Miller look like for the rest of the season? That's what's important. Well, now we don't know what it's going to be. And even when Lamelo does come back, he's going to be coming back from the injuries. There's probably going to be two or three weeks of him not being 100%, maybe on a minute's limit. It just makes everything more difficult on the court and more difficult to analyze off it. Because now all of a sudden, everyone is thrust into roles that they're not really ideally suited to. Miles Bridges might be a first or second option. Terry Zier, Point Terry. Um, the only person who maybe benefit from this is Gordon Hayward, who seemed to have kind of lost his way here with Lamelo Ball's hot streak. Um, maybe he, he, you know, excels being featured a little bit more. I don't know. It doesn't really make sense on paper why that would be the case. But um, what are your big takeaways here? Let's just assume for now that we think Lamelo Ball is going to be a multi-week absence at least. Um, what are you expecting the knock-on effect and impact to be in terms of roles for other players going forward? So, I mean, I think mine and a lot of people's natural train of thought here is like, which player is taking up LaMelo's minutes directly? Like Nick Smith, Teo Maladon, Ish Smith, Bryce McGowan's, like all of these players, maybe a healthy James Booknight here pretty soon. Any of these guys could kind of eat up some of these minutes. Obviously, Terry coming back is going to be a big part of it too, but he kind of had the his own minutes blocked away anyway for when the team was going to be fully healthy. Now you have everybody except for LaMelo again. Do you give Nick Smith a crack at the rotation? Do you continue burning Teo Maladon's two-way availability? Which, And I actually saw a tweet from Keith Smith about this today, which made me feel a little bit better about it. There are teams like across the league that are burning two-way availability for their players like early in the season. Teo's already played 12 games. Like That's a good like 20% chunk of his two-way availability already before we're even in December. But the fact that other teams are doing it maybe kind of indicates that later on in the season there might be like a shuffling of two-way players as guys get waived and replaced with other players to reset that 50-game counter. Maybe that happens to Teo as well. He's like signed to some sort of minimum contract or they waive him and sign another point guard or they just put Nick Smith in and just avoid that situation entirely. Teo has not not done anything for me to earn anything. He has just been objectively worse this year than he was the previous year. He just... He just can't score the ball. Like his defense exactly. is good, but he's not a good enough shot creator for himself or for others. Um, and that is the issue. He is an absolute offensive liability. And he often finds himself on the court with the likes of JT Thor, who like he can shoot corner threes, but can essentially do very little else. And there is just not enough like offensive skill on the floor for you to be able to score. In this like NBA, you look at all these units they're against and all these Teams just have such more skilled players on the floor when those guys are out there. Right. And the two guys that you're going to get back from injury here, Frank Nielakina especially, and then James Booknight, neither of those guys are necessarily like offensive creators that you're going to get back. So you have Teo, who's already been playing and has shown none of that, which is what you kind of need to replace when you lose a player like Lamella. Like you're not going to replicate it, but you can at least try and replace some of that scoring and assist production. Teo hasn't done it so far. It doesn't seem like the coaching staff trusts Nick Smith to do it yet. Frankie Lakina isn't geared towards that anyway. He's like a more of a defensive specialist. James Booknight is like an off-ball guard. Ish Smith is like already kind of playing, but he was like a break glass in case of emergency point guard that they signed after the season had already started. 
like, after the emergency I, it happened <laughs> right exactly so it's like i don't know how much they even want to just funnel him minutes like on a nightly basis like at that point wouldn't you rather just give them to nick smith because ish so let's talk about this not, let's have a good conversation right. about nick smith right yeah okay. in the minutes we have seen for it. yeah in the minutes we've seen so far from Nick Smith, he's had a little bit of like non-garbage time, and he's had some garbage time. What have what have you seen enough that you think that he should be the one to get an opportunity going down the stretch? Not down the stretch. Uh, it, during this opportunity, is this the person that you would turn to ahead of Teo Maladon? I think like right now, yes, because Teo has gotten like ample opportunity. I think to show that he could be a backup point guard and really hasn't been anywhere near like NBA rotation caliber in that regard, except for defensively. And what this team needs is more offense when you lose Lamelo. Nick yep. hasn't shown that efficiently so far. Like, but like you said, it's been a kind of a weird mix of like actual important minutes when the team was down a lot of players a couple of weeks ago and garbage time minutes when, you know, the t- the game is out of, out of reach and he comes in for the last four or five minutes, but he hasn't scored efficiently really at all, but he has had some nice like flashes of touch on those like mid paint, like floater runner type finishes. So at least giving him an opportunity to expand on stuff like that. I really don't think he's going to be a point guard at all, which is like kind of the problem. But then again, like if Ish Smith is kind of already factored into the rotation for like 10 minutes, that might work. You can maybe just give Nick and Terry or give Ish and Terry all of the point guard minutes and then Nick play off ball for 10 to 12 minutes a game and kind of get some more extended run here. But yeah, I mean, like, but like you said, all of these players are just being thrust into roles that they probably shouldn't be thrust into if you want to get the best out of them. So, even if you did put Nick in right now, I'm not sure you're putting him in the best situation to have like repeated good games or like impact winning in oh, a you're positive not. manner. Like, the, right. So, so it's, it's like, it's well, just, what are are you yeah. even gonna? You're kind of like setting yourself up for failure in certain regards because like unless Nick just comes in and absolutely dominates and shoots really well or defends really well, it's going to be really tough for him to like get any sort of rhythm going. Yeah. So, I mean, Nick has played like 24 minutes, so he's not played any, got any time in the G league yet, but what Clifford are we talking? Everyone would be looking at Nick Smith in a vacuum. They'll be looking at those, you know, some of those shots that he's made, which have looked really smooth, really good. I completely get that. And going to Maladon can't throw, anything even near the basket. What people need to zoom out, and I'm not saying they're wrong for thinking that, but Steve could be talking about how do you execute when you're out there? And right now, Nick Smith is like a minus 19 on-off net rating in his minutes. And a big problem there is like, he's got like a turnover percentage of 18%, which is really not good for a guard. I mean, that is extremely high, basically turning it over almost one in five possessions that he has the ball. And that's just his, that's the challenge. Those are the big challenges. His shooting, it's, it's really clear. He makes high effort plays. We've already seen some of those uh, where he's been getting up and down the floor, um, hustling back on defense. And I really like the energy that he brings. And like, I, I, w- I agree with you. I think I would prefer to, to try and go there rather than experiment with Teo Maladon. But I, I talk about Teo, he was, sorry, Nick being minus 18. Teo, even though he's been pretty horrible this year in his minutes, He's only they're only minus three and a half points when he's off the court. So right away there, that's the thing that Steve Clifford is looking at. It's not looking at the individual player and what that player does. It's how do they help everyone else? That's through communication, defensive awareness, you know, ball movement. How do they, you know, play without the ball, make offense for others? 
It's all these little things. And that's what Teo probably brings that, that Nick doesn't. So that's the reason why. But I actually agree with you. Because for me, Chase, this season isn't going anywhere. Okay, we, we knew we needed the season to get off to a good start with that easy schedule. Um, and now there's been so many injuries, even before the Lamella ball injury, this team is cast away already. I just, I just don't see any world for this team to bring it back, to go like plus 35 wins and even have a shout of the play-in would have to be a pretty monumental turnaround. I mean, you were just telling me before we started recording, you looked at games till mid-January and the easiest game the Charlotte Hornets basically have in the next six to seven weeks is the Brooklyn Nets who smoked them already down two starters. So I'm just like, for me, I know this is not the Steve Clifford style here, but if people want to enjoy the season, it's not watching Teo Maladon and you're not developing him for future seasons. I think we're pretty clear we're past that point with the drafting of Nick Smith Jr. and Amari Bailey. So I, I think I actually am ready to let him go out there, let him make some of those mistakes. I know Steve Clifford, that's not his style, but, already I just feel like the situation has snowballed away. And uh, yeah, I, that's just not what I want to see. I understand why from a coaching perspective you do it, but it's just not what I or fans want to see. Yeah, I mean, a 5-10 and 10 start. Now you're down your best player for what we can imagine is going to be at least a month, if not more. This is just not a recipe for success. I mean, not that it matters like how far out you are from playing range like in November, but I mean your individual record is five and ten. So you have to rip off multiple like lengthy win streaks here just to get back above five hundred and then launch yourself into the range of even being in the discussion of being like a contending team for that. And without your best player, you're just asking so much. And we saw last year that that just isn't gonna happen. Like that I don't think they won on a win streak of longer than three games last year. I don't think. I think they had one uh, three-game win streak like later on in the year but I mean and anything more than that even would just be even more difficult to ask and we've already seen yeah. that it's not something that's gonna we we've to become fruition. preconditioned to disappointment I mean right. we really like, have. when anything positive happens to this team everyone watching it is just waiting like for the you know for the other shoe to drop right that something is gonna go wrong soon I mean and when we say well like we should be on this podcast talking about beating the Boston Celtics in overtime, talking about beating the Wizards, a two-win streak, um, you know, a competitive game against a streaking Orlando Magic. That's what we should be talking about. But that just now feels like it was in a different world. Um, and, I mean, to, on that old Boston game briefly, I mean, wow, talk about fumbling a game away. <laughs> Boston should have won that so many times. Uh, I mean, I'm, it was like, I'm really happy for the fans in the building that the Hornets got to win because the Celtics have stomped Charlotte in Charlotte for years now. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that all the Celtics fans who turned out for that one got had to go home uh, eating a little bit of humble pie. Um, but the Hornets have, have continued like not to play well from start to finish at any point. Yeah, and like... Um, you could, sorry, I just wanted to say this too to add on. Yesterday, that game against the Magic was the best shooting performance of the season, really. They're one of their best, most efficient offensive games in terms of how they scored. Just doesn't matter, like at all. <laughs> Even without Lamella, the team was still scoring at an efficient rate. They finished at 53%. Yep. They made 13 threes, which is one of the four times that they've made that 13 or more threes this year. Like, should be a 
extremely positive note that we're on here, but just, of course, the one domino that couldn't fall has already fallen here. Yeah. Um, Walker Mal tweeted today of Lockton Hornets that um, he talked with Lamelo at Spectrum Center on Wednesday last week, um, and he confirmed, he being Lamelo, that he hasn't worn ankle braces all season, said, and he quotes, hurt for real. He tried practicing with ankle braces and said he, quote, couldn't do it. Um, but he did say he'd been taped up this season. What do you make of this? Obviously, there was a big hoo-ha. We talked about it on this podcast about ankle brace. Lamella Ball is going to wear ankle braces this season. That's something he's going to do. He said he was going to do it because that's what the Hornets medical staff wanted him to do. He's obviously gave that up pretty quickly. Do you think who, who do you think is to do you think this is a big deal? One and two. Who do you think is to blame for this situation? If you do think it's a big deal, I don't know if it's necessarily a big deal because he, I mean he did also say that he's been taping himself up this year, which isn't quite the same as wearing a brace, but is at least like a half measure of sorts. I don't think that a lot of the injuries that he's suffered are necessarily being like prevented by wearing like an ankle brace. Like is his ankle not going to like fracture in that way? Like when he had that awkward fall last year, if he had a brace on, like, I'm not sure. With this one, we also have a a very infrequently detailed like injury report here. Like right ankle strain could mean a lot of things at this point or this early on in the process. Like, whether or not well, it's not even might, listed as a strain anymore. Let's also remember in the latest for the next when we talked about he's now listed as doubt for the next game, it's just a right ankle. So the strain right, yeah. element has gone. The strain was listed during the game. It's now just listed as right ankle doubtful. So there is uncertainty here in terms of is a strain, is it not strain? Uh, yeah, there's some definitely some fishy stuff going on here. Yeah, a lot of ambiguity, which we're seemingly yeah. getting very used to as uh, as Hornets fans when it comes to injuries. But yeah, I mean, if he wasn't going to be comfortable in them also, like, I don't know, at a certain point, like you can't really ask someone to be uncomfortable just to like, as a preventative measure, it's different if it's something that like is actively, you know, causing something to happen. Like if, it, if his ankle hurts during the games, like then he would wear a brace. But, you know, when he comes back from that injury and he's healthy, he's, you know, get it ramping up. His ankle doesn't hurt from in his mind all the brace is doing is causing something negative happening like he hasn't gotten hurt again yet so why would he need the brace until that happens and then maybe he comes back and it actually does hurt or gets sore like frequently and the brace helps but i don't know i i I definitely get it from like if the medical staff approached him and was like hey can you please start wearing these braces we think it would help you totally understand that but i also understand him being like this is extremely uncomfortable, like limits my movement or whatever it was that would have been his reasoning for it. And then just not wanting to do it. I mean, I, I, I kind of understand both sides. Yeah. I, I've seen a lot of people kind of saying that the, you know, what are the training staff doing? They should be forcing him to wear it, but you have to understand like the, these players are their own bosses, right? You, yeah. can you can't them force guidance. them to do anything. That is yeah. the first like. It's not NBA 2K where you can put ankle braces on. Not that 2K does that, but you know what I mean? It's the same in a video game. Like, you can have your physio and your medical expert saying, Lamello, we think ankle braces will help you for reasons X, Y, and Z. Here's all the statistics and the data, the research to show how it can help you. If Lamello tries it and then finds it uncomfortable, and, you know, let's say maybe he wore them at the start of the season when he struggled and he ditched them and then went on that run. Like, 
you, you can't force someone to wear them. They can't get them changed in the morning and say, Lamello, go back to the locker room. You're not wearing ankle braces. You, you have to treat these people with men, like men. They're their own people. They make their own decisions. Um, you could argue that, yeah, Lamello, like maybe now you might want to try and commit to wearing ankle braces because it's the second ankle injury you've had. This isn't like a, a freak one-off thing now. There's a two right ankle injuries. Um, but I just, I think there are aspects where the Hornets medical staff have been fair to criticize over the last little bit of time. I don't think you can put this on the Hornets medical staff. I'm, I promise you, they will have pushed as hard as they they can, but ultimately at some point the athlete takes some ownership. So um, it'll be interesting to see. And like I say, they have taped them up. So maybe that was a, a middle ground, but you know, I've had my ankle taped. I've had it in braces because uh, I had, awful ankles for basically years of playing basketball. And I'm telling you, the, the braces do a lot more for stability, like for structural control. I, I could just feel it. And yeah, they are more comfortable, um, uh, more uncomfortable, but that's just that's just how it's going to be. So I, I thought that was interesting uh, to hear that kind of come out today. But like you said, there isn't, we're all talking about if, but some maybes. All of these things could have still happened with ankle braces. They don't solve anything. They probably give you a like a tiny percentile i can't no one can even tell you what of a better chance of minimizing injury um is that worth it for the potential offset of pain and you know lowering and performance if it is a minuscule percentile there is nobody in the world who can give you a straightforward fact-driven answer there it is all gray area that we just don't know okay um Anything else on Lamella Ball here before we uh, move on to our next topic of Miles Bridges? Hoping for a very speedy recovery. Hopefully this doubtful listing for the next game against the Knicks is as good of a sign as it seems on paper here. So yeah, get well soon and, to the And judging player. by the schedule in previous, previous years, it feels like we're maybe just a one or two more podcast episodes away from a Gordon Hayward injury. Just I feel, right. feels like we're getting to that point in the year of the season now, right? Yeah, and then uh, some sort of impact role player, you know, you can pick and choose the names out of a hat, will suffer a freak injury of some sort, like when Kelly yeah. Oubre broke his hand last year. So we're, all, we're maybe, on track here. Maybe some more off-court drama, like a suspension. Maybe we not no, we haven't had for a while. Uh, a, a drug suspension. Maybe get one Ooh. of those. The old Malik Monk. What was it? True. 20 games he got. Uh, maybe that's like going to that. be coming soon. Uh, look, when it rains in Charlotte, it pours. Um, the Panthers are in a terrible situation. They fired the head coach today. The Charlotte Hornets um, have lost the Ball to injury. I, I think it's time people start looking at the draft prospects already. And it's November. Um, wow. It's, uh, it's a shame here. But Look, hopefully that uh, discussion on the Mellow Ball helped air out maybe some of your thoughts and frustrations with this whole thing. Um, I Look, I think it's fair to say, and we had the same conversation when he got injured last year, and I know we sat on different sides of the fence. I thought Lamella Ball was injury prone then. I pointed to his history of injuries. I pointed to his brother and, you know, Genetics is a fact that you are likely to have genetics and to run into you know injury issues with you're more likely to have injury issues with a brother than you you are as well. Um I will say it doesn't matter if like he is injury prone, you still had to sign to that contract. Uh, you you are in a, no, a no win situation here, right? There is no way you're finding a talent like that 
And we've seen this long list of injury players like Steph Curry was hurt with injuries early in his career. Other players who have managed to completely overcome them and looked really good later in their career. And you just have to take that ball. You have to take that risk with Lamella Ball. Um, I do think he's injury prone. It's not his fault. Okay, some people, it's just genetics. It's how it works, right? Um, and Charlotte have to run the risk with that. They played the lottery, and it's uh, it's not come up on their side yet. But uh, look, fingers crossed, this is not as serious. Fingers crossed we can come back on this podcast and talk about Lamella Ball on the basketball court later this season. Miles Bridges uh, has returned to action. He has now played uh, five games this season, and whoa, pretty pretty good five game stretch here. He is averaging twenty one points, nine rebounds, three assists, one and a half steals, half a block, um, and is is doing it at a career high efficiency as well. Like if you actually look at his seasons, if you were to keep up just what he has done so far, this would pretty clearly be the best season of Miles Bridges' career. Um, from an efficiency standpoint, a rebounding standpoint, um, all the arrows are pointing up after over a year away. Um, on the court, you have to have seen what you like from Miles Bridges so far. You you can't argue he's given this team something like Washington Wizards, Boston Celtics. I don't think this team wins either of those games without Miles Bridges. No, and I, they definitely don't. Since he came back, it really was just that one game in the first game where he, even then... He played pretty well, but since then, he's had an argument for best player on the court pretty much every game. Like The rebounding production has definitely been there. He's been scoring pretty efficiently at all three levels. I think he's yeah he's at 50.7% from the field right now, 38% from three on five attempts per game. Like Across the board, has been scoring very well. He's defending at a pretty good level as well. He's been playing multiple front court positions. He's switch between the three and the four pretty seamlessly when they needed him to. I, I mean, yeah, it's it's unfortunate that the one bright spot of this team lately has been uh, the biggest negative from the team for the last, like, year and a half. But, yeah, I mean, the, the script flipped pretty quickly when Miles went from being suspended to being back on the court here. And also he regained his starting role very quickly as well. I mean, partially due to – Lamelo now being injured, he's like locked into that spot again, I think pretty much. But I mean, PJ Washington being out too, Miles went back into the starting lineup, continued to play well. When this team was healthy two years ago, Miles started over PJ as well. So I would imagine that he's going to continue starting, playing extremely high minutes load. I think he played like 41 minutes in that game against Boston. The overtime game was like his third or fourth game back. Doesn't seem like he's out of shape or out of rhythm no. or in, in any and way. Cre- really, credit so. to him. He, he He's come into the season, you know, he's obviously kept himself into good shape. He's come in and played good minutes straight away. Um, he looks sharp. He looks ready to play NBA basketball. And I think a lot of people would have understood, you know, if he just starts slowly, there'll be a lot of people out there going, well, you know, give him some time. He's easing his way in. But he has just come in and looks better than he was a year ago. Um, the three-point shooting especially. I mean, he's made some really tough, Tough luck so far. Um, so credit to Miles Bridges, like physically is in a really good place and is contributing to this team. And when you see him playing, it just makes you like remember, oh my God, he was like really good. I mean, you you forget 
the two-way ability, the ability to, you know, he slashes well, gets to the rim, rebounds the ball well, like plays defense. He's the one strong player on the team for his position that Charlotte seemed to have that can like play with his chest. And he just adds so much for this team. Um, and it's it was just really incredible. Like you see him and it just reminds you of what a impact that he made and how much this team has missed his impact in the first 10 games of this season and all of last season. Because um, he was the second best player on the team, the leading scorer, when he before he got out and being suspended. So, and you're right. We, we talked in this last podcast. We said, I think Miles Bridges can be back sooner rather than later in the starting lineup because Steve Clifford is coaching for his job, and that is a a move that is right there in front of him, and he made it literally the next game, um, and not a surprise at all because PJ Washington, since Miles has been back, and maybe even a bit before. His players really dipped recently. I know he hit some threes the other night against Orlando, but um, why can't PJ Washington and Miles Bridges play well together? What like why can't they play well at the same time? Why does it have to? This we talked about this last time. Always this this flip flop between someone has a good game, oh, but they have a bad game. Just team just never seems to complement each other. It's like whoever has it that night just seems to go, but it it always just feels like it's in a, a fruitless loss. Yeah, I mean, PJ had 32 against Miami, and then Miles comes back and scores six points on two made field goals over the next two games. That I, They played pretty well together in the Boston game, I think. But yeah, I mean, again, in Orlando, he, PJ just kind of went missing like in that second half. I think he made one or two threes that were fairly timely. But I mean, with Lamelo going out, you just need a lot lost. more than that. Yeah, exactly. You just need more, especially given the context of the game, than what you got from him in that regard. But yeah, it would be nice if this could line up at one point, but I think that we'll be staring at a wooden box six feet under before that happens. Yeah. And, you know, PJ's been playing a lot of five because Nick Richards, another injury, by the way, uh, it's been out with concussion yeah. um, uh, from the Milwaukee Bucks game. And you think with him playing the five, he has a real advantage in terms of quickness and shooting the ball. Um, and that's not like quite come to fruition yet. Uh, but what one thing I did notice, just to go back to Miles, his rim finishing down yep. at fifty nine percent this year, which is uh, a lot lower than his. Like he's normally between like sixty eight to seventy two percent for the last two seasons. And I like I've noticed it as well. He's had some like kind of short finishes, and also just there's been a few times where I think, oh, Miles is gonna rise up for a dunk here and slam this home and he's not. And I, part of me thinks he looks in great physical shape in terms of like he has his wind, he's getting up and down the floor. But I do wonder if there's been a slight, slight athleticism drop off just a little bit because there's been a few times where I just like used to seeing him, remembering him exploding at the rim and he's just not quite had that same level of vertical pop. Yeah, that's definitely something to look out for here going forward. I, I didn't take note of that quite myself, but you're def I did notice that he wasn't finishing very well at the rim, which part of that could be due to the lack of, you know, dunks that he's getting. Obviously, it's a much more efficient shot than really any sort of layup. But I also think part of it is when this is something that I've really noticed since he got back is it looks like he's like a much more willing playmaker now than he used to be. I think he's over the season the entire season when he was still healthy a couple of years ago, he averaged like four assists per game. I don't think he's quite there right now, but 
And I don't even know if he'll average that over the season this year either, but it seems like he's just much more geared towards that now. And like you said, he's like the best, most consistent source of rim pressure. Like nobody gets to the rim as easily or consistently from like the three point line or from any sort of like triple threat spot up position as miles does on this team right now. So maybe he's kind of just putting that upon himself to make plays and find more kickouts to shooters and cutters and stuff like that than he would have otherwise. But I do think part of it is just that like, and maybe that finishing among the trees is just something that he wasn't necessarily great at in terms of like layup finishing anyway. And if that athleticism is gone, then, maybe that would just be something that we have to expect going forward to be like the at rim efficiency going down a slight bit, yeah. but we'll have it, to give him some time, I guess. It, to see it, that too. Right. Still, yeah. You wouldn't think still that 26. That happen, this isn't like someone who's 29, 30. And we, we do know like the Dunkers, the Aaron Gordon, Zach Levines. We know that they do lose that athletic pop, like in their late twenties, but he's 26 coming off a year and a bit of not playing basketball. Like he is probably fresher than, than most. The question is just if like, he is still maybe, again, even though like he looks, he's playing heavy minutes and it doesn't look like it's impacting getting up and down the court, maybe just being a little bit more tired and winded, maybe being a little bit heavier, even though he doesn't look that way to me. I have to say he looks in good shape. Maybe that is just a, a marginal factor there. But yeah, I think his right-hand, off-hand finishing and his ability to finish with both hands around the rim, even though it's mostly right, he does sometimes, I think he had a left-hand reverse of the night, is just super impressive for like, and he gets that super low dribble where he kind of like almost bends down, bends his knees and gets the ball right close to the deck. And he gets a lot of reaching fouls there. And for someone who's as strong as he is, he's only 6'6", but he gets so low and he's got that strength and athleticism. He just kind of barrels his way into the paint while maintaining good body control and balance. And he's able to kind of make plays off the dribble there. So yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been an impressive return. And, um, it would have been very interesting to see that that starting unit that started against Orlando for those whole 14 minutes. We might be talking about this 14 minutes on Orlando for like the next two months here, uh, being like, well, in, in those minutes, they were uh, looked pretty good. Um, but he's going to be thrust into like a... I mean, who do you think has the highest usage now Lamelo is going to be out? Uh, I'm going to go with Terry would be my guess, just because I think A... He was pretty damn good in his return himself. I think he started three for three from the field. He had like 13 yeah. points and nine assists like halfway through the third quarter. Very good good distributor and was obviously scoring very efficiently, getting to his spots in the mid-range as well. Terry would be my guess to lead the team in usage rate for now just because he's obviously going to play point guard. He's maybe the best scorer right now. I don't know. Maybe Miles will take that title from him with a little bit larger sample size. But at this exact moment when we're recording the podcast, Terry is the best scorer and point guard on the team. So I'll give that mantle to him. But obviously, Miles is probably going to be the second number two right there. And I would imagine it's just Terry, Miles, Hayward, Brendan Miller is your top four, probably in that order as well. But and then after that, like who do you who can you even really trust to have a high usage rate of any sort and like put the ball in their hands for the majority of possessions outside of those four guys. So you kind of have to just. Well, I'd, I'd like to see an uptick in Brandon Terry Miller. Miles. I think yes, as, absolutely. As, the, as the season goes along, uh, I understand easing him in at the start and this other guys where even though they've been hurt, you don't want to just, you want to build the guy's confidence slowly, right? Just let him catch the ball and get the ball in situations that you know he feels comfortable in. And they've done that well so far. Um, 
as as the season goes along, and especially now, Flamella Ball is going to be out, like both for the development of Brandon Miller and for the benefit of this team trying to win, whatever angle you're coming at it from, I think more Brandon Miller is better because I think he's already beginning to understand how to get to some of his spots, what he can and can't do, how NBA defenses are going to play him. We talked a little bit about like get ready for the regression. You know, teams are going to play him a certain way. And they already have started doing that now. The scout is out and he's still finding ways to be effective. Um, so that that's the big thing. I think, you know, Brandon has continued to play well, really well recently. Um, obviously had the Knicks game, played well the other night against a very good defensive team in Orlando. Um, he's been playing well. We've not touched on Mark Williams yet. Another one who might be injured. He had a lot of strapping on that left shoulder in the Magic game. Um, I think he'll be an interesting guy to talk about next episode. I think the Mark Williams like value and impacts right now um, seems a little bit hard to judge. You know, you look at the statistics and yeah, they look really good for a second year player. Um, but this is the 30th ranked defense in the league or close to that. Um, and Mark Williams, don't get me wrong, he is the, the guy at the heart of that. And while Nick Richards has been out, Mark Williams has found himself in a lot of foul trouble which has meant we've had PJ Washington and JT Thor minutes a lot more than I think Steve Clifford wanted to play. So maybe that's uh, maybe that's something for next week. Uh, we can see how Mark Williams gets on here, but he has also now lost his his pick and roll partner in Lamelo Ball, so we can probably expect a little downtick in his offensive efficiency as well going forward. Yeah, and uh, all of these guys that we just talked about are going to have the opportunity to do pretty much anything that they can to like positively impact the offense here like there's no you know oh miles bridges is going to be in more of a spot up cutter role and transition finisher like no if he turns out to be a good shot creator over the next month he's going to be able to do that as often as he needs to mark williams ends up being a, an extremely efficient short roll finisher they're going to run a ton of pick and roll to mark williams and use that as often as possible because the amount of options and the layers of versatility and how predictable you are as a team in general right now is extremely limited and you had now have very few ways to beat players or beat teams consistently so if anybody can show something here in the next like month or so that is what's going to be like ridden across this time without Lomelo here so i'm interested to see kind of what pops up because obviously somebody's got to fill that void they're not going to score 82 points mm -hmm. per game just because Lomelo's out hopefully i guess it's possible but hopefully hopefully not <laughs> I mean, to put a bow on this episode here, I think we're, we're coming towards the end. Do you think in some ways the injury issues the team have faced? I mean, we like I say, we barely even mentioned, you know, Nick Richards being out, Frank Nilakina, and like, we're, we're not even mentioning guys because there's so many more important people. Do you think in some ways it will have helped the job security of Steve Clifford? Ooh, that is a very interesting way to frame that y yeah probably right like i don't it i don't think it hurts that's for sure it definitely at least bides time more so like because now if say the hornets go on a tough streak here with lamello out i already said it tough streak with lamello out which is exactly what happened last year like that was the reasoning for you know the hornets having a poor record last year and keeping steve clifford around not that that was a decision that they were actually making but in terms of our perspective like that's why you would give him another year to show you what he can do with, as the head coach of this team but i mean i don't know if you're going to get another year of that same excuse 
especially if the team ends up being just as bad, if not worse, win loss wise to lack compared to last year. But I mean, it, yeah, it definitely doesn't hurt. It, it I, I think I'm so. I'm sure it gives them a little yeah. bit more time to, and just another thing to think about whenever the, the owners are making this decision over the summer because his contract expires. He's not even like signed to coach the team next year. So they'd have to sign him to a new yeah. deal anyway. So this is well, that's, another that's, thing I, that they're going to have to think of here. That ain't going to happen. I'm just saying. So yeah. I just don't think I it's going to happen. <laughs> I, Probably I think that, not. But I still think the GM will be the, you know, I think Mitch Kupchak will be the first person to, to leave his post before Steve Clifford. I think that will happen. Um, I think before the trade deadline. Um, would be my would be my uh, educated guess right there, but I I feel sorry for Steve Clifford. If you think about how these two years in Charlotte have gone since he, the day he took the job, I mean, literally, I think the next day the Miles Bridges situation happened. It could not have gone any worse, right? Between suspensions and injuries, he has never had the group of guys that when he took the job and he was planning for his interview and he sat down and projected over the next two years, this is what we're going to do. He has not had that single group of players once. And as much as he says in interviews, I didn't think about that stuff. I just coach I just coach the guys who are in front of me. He can say all that stuff. I feel sorry for him that he has never really had the opportunity with the most talented team that he probably has on paper in his time coaching. Equally, and these things can be the truth at the same time, and I've said it already, I don't think he's coached well this year. I don't think he is helped get more out of this team than its talent. Like you look across some of those other teams in the NBA and there are other teams with injuries and uh, dealing with their own issues and they've been able to get more competitiveness. They've been able to get, you know, have a style, a defined style that you know what you're getting out of them every single night. And that is something you struggle this year. So I, I feel sorry for Steve Clifford whilst at the same time feeling that he's left a little bit on the table in terms of, I think this could have been a team that was more prepared coming into the year. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I mean, I know I know you just said that this year he may have left a little bit on the table in terms of getting the most out of his roster. But throughout his coaching career, I mean, that has been like one of his best traits is getting role players or, you know, low level all stars like into nightly contributors that are, can lead a team to a playoff berth like. Nikola Vucevic has only been an all-star under Steve Clifford. Like, there's probably a reason for that. I, I, and that's because he, Steve Clifford knows how to get the most out of talent in certain situations. Obviously, that situation is not present this year. But, no. I mean, this was really his last opportunity to, you know, solidify his legacy as an NBA coach. And it's gone about as poorly as you can imagine in terms of, like, a win-loss perspective. I'm sure off the court there are plenty of positives that, you know, we who are not in the building are not privy to, which I can completely understand from his perspective. But yeah, I mean, it's, it definitely stinks to see, you know, his like overall coaching record and whatnot and all that type of stuff kind of tanked a little bit at the end here, even when it could have been a really good opportunity to have the opposite happen. It's just was taken away for many, many reasons that were out of his control. Yeah. The Charlotte Hornets are the, I know it's an unluckiest franchise in sport. I, I, well, I don't know if you can say the franchise are unlucky. The fans, let's say, I would just say that Charlotte Hornets fans are the unluckiest fans in American pro sports. I don't follow baseball, but I just struggle to see that there's another situation where this fan base unfairly just gets, you know, 
has to deal with these terrible situations, um, some of which which are pure luck, injuries, some of which are self-inflicted, suspensions, um, you know, people turning down jobs. I think you know, all, all sorts of things. If you look back over the last two, three years, we, we've lived through it. We've podcasted about it. We've talked about it. When you put everything together, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't write a book because you'd think you'd think that's not realistic, like for a team to go through what they've gone through. Um, it's like a terrible storyline in some straight to TV movie, right? Um, it's just sad. And I, I I sent out a tweet the other night, it was getting frustrating. Like it's just hard to get up to talk about this every week and the podcast about this when like it seems like the season is becoming Essentially, regular season becoming meaningless earlier and earlier, like as the seasons go on here. Uh, and if anything, when we looked at when we made that play in for the first time, the Hornets were the buzz of the league. And from that moment, it has just been well, the playoffs after the play in after just been a an absolute struggle, greater than anybody, anybody, even the greatest Hornet skeptic could not have said could have not predicted it's been as bad as it's been. Um, so I keep waiting. Sometimes the Phoenix is going to rise. That's what I keep thinking. Um, but Chase, I don't think it's going to be this year. And I'm sorry for all these people who put bet, bet on the Hornets win, win differential over 30.5, which I said I would put serious money on. And by the way, I did put serious money on it. I, I'm hurting just as much as you. And again, I will, I will point to injuries. Um, to, to be the reason for that, but that is that is not a good looking bet right now. So, um, I, I don't put big money on the Hornets very often because I I know the track record. I've been actually very good betting on the Hornets. I feel like I might be on the wrong side of that, and the uh, the draft show might be back in for another another important year, Chase. Yeah, we definitely might be. It's just icing on the cake to end the episode here. Yeah. All right, that's it for me, Chase. Anything else you want to tell listeners before we get out of here? Stay positive, people. There will be more <laughs> basketball. After games all of that, you're like, stay positive. No matter what. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what, they gotta play, game. they gotta play 82 games this year. So you know, uh, might as well at least try to convince yourself that there's a reason to keep going. Well, that's a, that's a great sales pitch right there. And we'll end it on that. <laughs> I Speak to so. you next week. Thanks, everybody.